It's great to have uh, families together in worship. Um, if you're normally in kids' church right now, but right now you're here with us and doodling on a notebook, I want you to I want you to raise a hand or raise two hands or say, "Woo, I'm right here." Several of you are. So some back here and some up here. And so uh, this is the fifth. <laughs> We've got some children's workers down there going, that's me. Um, we appreciate you guys. But as is our tradition, fifth, fifth Sunday of the month, we get to have our, our families together. So it's great to have the kids in worship with us a little bit today. And it's great to, great to be together. Um, I'm glad for a decent patch of weather. At one point last week, we were a little worried about rain. We're not worried about that anymore. So there's not a cloud in the, cloud in the sky. Um, this is a completely different service. I'm looking to be done by 11.30. That's my plan. So we started at 10.30. We didn't have the countdown, which really threw me. I'm like, are we supposed to start? Because the kids aren't counting down yet. But uh, we, we, we made it. So we're trying to be done by 11.30. So we, uh, the grills are getting fired up, and they're getting going. So hopefully everything will be ready to go, ready to go at, uh, at 11.30. Um, it's just going to be a great day today. Uh, as we begin today, I would like you to take your Bibles uh, and open them up, or if you have devices that you like to read Scripture from, open them up to Luke chapter 9. As we journey through this sabbatical season for our church, one of the things that, that I, am, I, I think is good and I think is healthy and I'm excited about is the chance to hear from, from different folks. Um, you know, today you're stuck with me, but um, the, it's going to be great for us to have a, a variety of voices and wisdom speak into our lives during this time. It's nice to have consistency. It's nice that Pastor Dave is, is, uh, leads us well into the scripture and brings truths out for us, um, but it's also going to be fun during this season to kind of have some variety. And so uh, I'm grateful to have the chance today to share with you and bring, bring the message uh, this morning, as I considered what to share, um, I was I was drawn to take a look at the lectionary passages for the week. So there's a there's a published set of readings for each week of the of the church calendar year called the lectionary. Um, and today's reading is the gospel text from the third week after Pentecost, which is this Sunday, uh, June 30th. It's a very interesting passage. Now we haven't been spending time in Luke. It's a lot of fun to stick with the book. It's a lot of fun to get to know a writer. And if we were journeying through Luke, you would be familiar with what he says and how he approaches it. But the cool thing about us going to Luke today is that as a church, we've been journeying through the book, uh, what book together this year? Acts. I heard it back there. Nice job. Passed the first quiz for the morning. Um, Luke and Acts are written by the same author. Traditionally, it's held that that it's a two-volume set. If you look at the beginning of Acts, he says, in my first book to you, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do in his ministry. So Luke and Acts are kind of together. So we're kind of already familiar with this author. Um, And so that's kind of exciting to me. Um, The two-volume set, the the first one talks about Jesus and his ministry and what he did here. Acts, of course, is about the the church as it breaks out into the rest of the world and and worship community begins to form outside of the Jewish tradition. Um, And so we're kind of with the same author. We're picking up the story at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, which marks the transition in the gospel. So, So in in chapters 4 through 9, Luke has been talking about Jesus' ministry in Galilee and, and what has gone on there. And, and past this verse, pointing all the way to chapter 19, there's what's called the journey narrative. 
at the beginning, and you're going to hear it as we read the text, Jesus declares, or, or the text declares that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, that there was something going to happen in Jerusalem. Luke, the writer who's writing, whew, there goes some papers, um, the, the writer who, who's writing several years later, several decades later, knows the story. He knows what happens in Jerusalem, but, but he remembers this time when Jesus said, we're on our way to Jerusalem. We're going to end up there. Luke recognized after this passage, Jesus had this purpose. He had this goal. He had this mission. He knew, knew something was ahead. Okay? And so this is kind of the transition point. You're going to hear some transitory language, like something is ending and something else is starting. So you're going to hear that as I read. If you're able today, out of respect of God's word, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to pick it up at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, and read through the end of the chapter. Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into the a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? <laughs> Interesting. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes and dens and birds have nests. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you please be seated? Well, I want to I start out with, with just thanking the kids for being here. And we actually have a little activity that I need this, the, the kids to start with. Okay, so I, if you're working on your doodle bag, that's fine. If you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. But for the youngest person at the table, you get to start. So what I need you to do is reach to the center. There is a pen attached to a yellow sheet of paper. There's supposed to be. There, it's been a little windy. We found all these paperweights sitting around all over the place. It was great. Um, but there's a yellow piece of paper and a pen. I have one extra that I pulled from this table that no one's sitting at because it's closest to me. Um, but I need you to get that out. Everybody, all the tables need to have the yellow sheet of paper out and the pen out. The youngest person that wants to participate gets the piece of paper. If you don't want to share, then just volunteer to go first. That means you're youngest. Um, okay, and if you're on the back line, I got nothing for you, but it's shady back there. So you're, where it's shadier back there. It's starting to get... I'm getting the glint off a few faces, so the sun is breaking in. So what I want you to do, I want the youngest person at the table to write uh, an image or draw a picture or write a word that, that talks about this. I want the youngest person at your table to, to draw a picture that represents something that makes you different, something that makes you unique. What's something about you that makes you special or unique or different? It could be that you have great fashion. It could be that you like the best music. It could be 
um, the way that your eyebrow twitches when you go to sleep. Um, I don't know. Just something that makes you a little bit different than everybody else. Color of your hair. Okay, and then you have to pass it to the next person at the table. So everybody's going to write something. So everybody start thinking, what's one thing that makes you special or different or a little unique? Be gentle with yourself. And everybody in the back line's like, man, I'm so glad I didn't sit at a table. Right? You be thinking about it. If you're on that back row, you be thinking about it. Okay? Pass that sheet of paper to the next person. We got to have everybody go around. If this takes too long, then I'm going to take it past 1130. So all those people that cheered will be disappointed. All right. You can continue doing that while I talk a little bit about my, my oddities. Um, it's a universal truth. We're all different from each other. In case you didn't know, the person next to you isn't exactly like you, even if you're sitting next to your identical twin. Um, we're, we're all just a little different. I was, a, I was a bit different as a kid. I know that shocks you. You're, you're shocked to find that out. I was a little different as a kid. Um, I used to kind of be athletic. Obviously, that wore off. I don't know what happened there. Um, I, I used to be smart, particularly in math. I used to be. Clearly not, not as much anymore. I used to have a great memory for details. Some of that's gone away. Does anybody, does anybody recognize that as you go a little bit older, you, you, you lose a little bit of that? Um, some of you are like, no. Others are like, you're too young to say that, Trent. Okay. Um, but here in, in our passage, and, 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 and you can continue to pass that, that yellow sheet around, I, I, I just wanted to get you thinking, how am I different than the person next to me? How is the person next to me a little different than me? Here we, fan, here we find our merry band of friendly disciples encountering some people who are different, different from them. The Samaritans, the dreaded Samaritans. You know, the Samaritans really get, get a bad rap whenever they come up in, in sermons, right? What do you hear about the Samaritans when, when they come up in sermons? Is anybody, anybody familiar? Yeah. The Good Samaritan story, okay, that, that's kind of a good rap for the Samaritans, but outside of that, has, the Jews hated them. Does anybody remember why the Jews might hate them? They're brought in from somewhere else. They're not original natives. Judy? They worshiped at a different place. Yes. One more time. They were mixed up in the, in the North Kingdom, yep. Does anybody remember the tradition that the good, faithful Jews would do when they have to go from one place to another and Samaria's in the middle? They would walk around, okay? Um, Samaria was not a liked place, okay? They, they, they were known for being different from the Jews. They, they wanted to be different. Jews wanted to be different than, than the Samaritans. They wanted to be known as, we don't go there, they relied on their differences to keep them at arm's length. They walked around Samaria. They avoided contact at all costs. We talked, we talked a little bit earlier about how, how this passage marks a turning point in the Gospel of Luke. It's here that Jesus begins his long, winding journey in the Gospel of Luke towards Jerusalem. I say long and winding because in Luke it takes 11 chapters. From 9 to 19, it takes 11 chapters for Jesus to get to Jerusalem. Maybe he forgot where Jerusalem was? 
Or maybe, or maybe the writer is using this transition as a device in his writing to say, there was a point at which Jesus had this purpose this understanding of, of what he was headed toward. The reality of the gospel writers is that they were much less concerned about chronology than we are. We, we're, we're, we're North Americans. We're, we're, we're primarily white folks. We, we like an ordered uh, schedule. Uh, I just told you 1130, and now you have expectations. We're going to be done by 1130. We're just kind of ordered. Um, when we go to El Salvador... Right when we had took a, I took a few mission trips to El Salvador, and they say, "What time are we going to do this?" Oh, about ten thirty, you know. And, and all of our team was like, "Trent, it's ten thirty. It's ten thirty. We're supposed to go." I'm like, "They don't seem ready to go yet." And so we would wait. Did anybody experience this in El Salvador? Maybe at one time or two with me. Absolutely, on a different schedule. Uh, the 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 writers of that age were much less worried about getting all the events in order, as opposed to delivering a message. And the message here was that Jesus turned this corner and, and set out for Jerusalem. They were, they were much more concerned with the communication of meaning. It's important to, to listen to the Gospels that way as we read the Gospels. So it's not coincidental, it's not on accident that Luke introduces Samaritans right here. It's not accidental. I don't think that Luke introduces Samaritans right at this point, right when he says Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Boom. We have an encounter with Samaria. Now, Mark focused primarily on Jesus as Messiah. Realize this. There is no mention of Samaritans in the whole Gospel of Luke. I looked it up this week. I didn't know that. I had to look this up. In Matthew, there's only one mention of Samaritans. It's written, Matthew is a book that's written primarily for the Jewish faith, for Jews to come to know Jesus. And he only mentions it once. And when, and when um, Jesus mentions Samaria or Samaritans in the gospel, gospel of Matthew, he says to stay away from them. That is a, this sounds weird. Okay, but Matthew was written for the Jews. Okay, that gospel. John, there's two mentions of the Samaritans. It happens more than one time, but there's two passages. There's the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and then Jesus called one Samaritan to ministry um, in the gospel of John. In Luke, in this two-volume set, the gospel is breaking out to the Gentiles, even to Samaria, even to the people that didn't look like us and, and that were a little different than us and had different characteristics to us. And, and Jesus is saying through Luke, Luke, the author is saying, this gospel is for everyone. He, he's going to start here in this, this journey of Jesus, but where's he taking us? He already knows Acts. He knows Acts happens when he writes Luke. And what did he have to do? He had to say, we got to break down these barriers. We can't be caught up with these divisions anymore. There's no one to stay away from. In Luke, there's three mentions. There's this mention of the Samaria and Samaritans. There's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there's the parable where he, he healed ten lepers. And one came back to thank Jesus. And it was a Samaritan. So not only was he a Samaritan, but he was a leprous Samaritan. And Jesus said, my healing is for you. 
My grace is for you. My gospel is for you. Healing can be found for you, even as a leper, even as a Samaritan. The author of Luke is in, in initiating the reader for what's to come. The writer is 50 years in the future of this event, and something strikes in his memory. I remember this time Jesus sent us ahead into this village. It was a Samaritan village. That was the moment. That was the moment that the focus of his ministry changed, and his, his, his face was set towards Jerusalem. He, he traveled with purpose. We hit the road at that point. Our, our path was carved toward Jerusalem. It reminds me a bit of Jesus sending the disciples ahead of coming into Jerusalem. Remember that? Right before his Passion Week, he sent two disciples and he says, you're going to find a, you're going to find a cult there that's never been written. If anybody asks, just say the master needs it. It all happened that way. It reminds me a little bit of that passage. Chapter 19, he's going to send two in. This is a different welcome. The, the welcome he receives from the Samaritan village is a lot different than the welcome he, re, he, he receives when he's headed into Jerusalem and they per, perform grand theft cult or something. I'm not sure. They, they just take the cult and then Jesus needs it. And they say, okay, take my cult. That's never been written. Go ahead. The question for us perhaps is simply, are we ready to welcome Jesus when he comes? The second striking reality of this passage is the response of the faithful. Jesus, can we barbecue them? See, we're having a barbecue today. I had to throw that one in there, you know? Like, are, they won't receive us. How dare they? Let's call down fire. Let's punish them. They don't, they don't know what they're missing. They're missing out on Jesus. Let's call down fire from heaven. This is James and John. Back up a few verses. These two are having what many consider one of the most poignant, most significant worship experiences explained in the Gospels. The transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus hang out on a mountainside for a little while. It's so cool. It's so cool. They want to build up shelters to make make this moment last. Immediately following after that, if you look down through the verses, you'll find five failures on the part of the disciples. Right after the transfiguration, I counted five, and there may be more. First one, they can't heal a demon-possessed boy. You're going to have to look these up on your own. Second, they don't understand Jesus preaching about his death. Third, they argue about which would be greatest. Fourth, they stopped a guy who was driving out demons saying, hey, he's not one of the disciples. He doesn't have his license. He's not supposed to be <laughs> casting out demons. Jesus said, if they're not, if they're not against us, they're for us. Number five, calling down fire on the Samaritan village. Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. (laughs) What a resolution. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance. There's no offense to be had. Jesus said, it's not the right time. Luke knew. Luke's down here 50 years later. And he said, Jesus knew. Jesus knew it wasn't the right time. We don't want to barbecue these people. We don't want to call down fire on them. They need the love of Jesus. It's just not, not their time. And he redirects them, redirects their energy. You know, we joke about barbecue, but I think that response is more common than we'd like to admit. I don't, I don't think you and I are going around calling down fire from heaven all the time. No, I don't believe that. But sometimes I worry about my knee my knee-jerk reaction to people at times. 
Too often my first response is one of quick judgment, of harsh reaction, like to Pepsi drinkers. <laughs> I just don't understand them. People who haven't seen Star Wars, it's terrible. Quick public service announcement. We're coming up on election season. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's written into the Constitution. But what's our knee-jerk reaction when we encounter someone that believes completely opposite of us? How are our reactions online? You will encounter differences of opinions, and some of those opinions that are different than yours are valid opinions, and it's okay. It's the beauty of diversity. It's the beauty of America. In those moments, we're so quick. Some, I'm, I'm so quick sometimes to pass judgment. I'm quick to roll my eyes and question people's sanity. People who drive slow in the fast lane. Come on. It seems like driving always comes up when I preach somehow. I don't know. Maybe that's God trying to speak to me. I'm not sure. People who interact differently or interpret scripture differently than me. People who worship to music different than what I like. Perhaps the question for us is what's our reaction to those different than us? The reality is, as you look at those yellow sheets, if we were all seated around tables and you looked at those yellow sheets, there are differences all around us. Even at your table, even within your family, we are so different. We are so diverse. And that's important. That's so huge. That's so valuable. I could soften that message, you know. Well, we all have to get along. We're just different. But that's not it. We don't get to stop there. What does it mean to lay down our attack when we're most rejected, when we're most hurt, when the world doesn't even let us in the city gate? They won't let our friend Jesus in the gate. How do we respond? What do we do? What do we do in those moments? That's our big problem for today, but I, I'm drawn to look into how it, how it relates to the ending of our text for today. As we look at the conclusion of this rejection of Jesus, we have some pretty harsh words from Jesus. So Jesus lets the Samaritan village off the hook. Eh, no. Rebuke, rebuke disciples that wanted to, to call down fire. Let's go another direction. And then there's people that want to follow him. And Jesus has some harsh words. One person says, I'll follow you, Jesus. Jesus talks about being homeless. Eh, we don't have a place to lay our head. Like, do you really want to follow? Trying to talk them out of it? To a couple others, Jesus invites them to follow. Or to the next one, he invites them to follow. They're both interested. Both, both of the, the second and the third person reference at the end of this chapter address Jesus as what in Scripture? Did you notice? Call him Lord. They call Jesus Lord. They know his authority. They know that they're supposed to be following. They want to do that. They both want to do good things, one with the deceased parent, other with living members of their family. Jesus offers a corrective for both reasons for not following him immediately that includes teaching on the kingdom of God. Are we not supposed to tend to the dead? Are we not supposed to have courtesy or manners for our family and say goodbye? Is that what Jesus is saying? These are really difficult passages to unpack. What, what's interesting is that Jesus' call, the call to follow Christ, is so much more saturation than imitation. 
I'm going to read that again. <laughs> it's good preaching. What, what's interesting is that Jesus' call, the call to follow Christ, is so much more saturation than it is imitation. One of the commentaries I read uh, by Fitzmaier this week said this, the following of Jesus does not simply mean imitation of him, but entering into the very conditions of his life and ministry and lot. It calls a person to sacrifice. How many of you remember the, the little rubber bands, WWJD bracelets? Anybody remember those? I, got, I had one or two or maybe, maybe more than that. WWJD, what would Jesus do? This passage seems to say it's simply not enough. Who would Jesus be? How would he live? It's the onset of this travel narrative. And the author of Luke, 50 years later, is painting a picture of what life is like on this travel narrative. How many wanted the security of home more than the kingdom of God? That's a tough question to ask. For us Americans who have our little campsite in our little neighborhood and we invest time and energy. How many of that back then wanted the security of having home more than the kingdom of God? How many let grieving the past get in the way? How many couldn't let go of relationships that they held in order to join Jesus on the journey? And how many are still making those choices today? The gospel writer had declared Jesus' intent to go and then laid out the qualifications it takes to join Jesus on the journey. Qualifications today are no different. They remain the same for us. The gospel writer knows this. He knows the end of the story. He started prior to chapter 9 talking about ministry in Galilee. Then he has this Jesus narrative, this journey narrative where, where Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. Then he comes to Jerusalem. Then he comes crucifixion. Then comes resurrection. And then we break into Acts. And the story gets crazy. The story gets crazy in Acts. And Luke knows all of it. And he's setting us up. These are the qualifications to join Jesus on the journey. The beautiful thing is that Luke answers the question of the Samaritan village. He answers the question of the Samaritan villages. He answers it in the long arc of this narrative of all that Luke wanted to write. The reason he introduced Samaria at this transition is simple. No raining down fire needed. Come on. Then he uses a good Samaritan in the example of the guy broken and bleeding just got mugged on the road. It's a Samaritan who comes by. Not only does the Samaritan get used as the good example, then Jesus goes and heals a Samaritan, but not just a Samaritan. It's a leprous Samaritan. And, and nine of his buddies, there were 10 that were healed. And, and Jesus said, go, go and worship. And on the way, they discovered healing. They encountered that. I don't know how that happened. I, I, I don't know. Who was it that came back? It was the Samaritan who came back. And gets praise for his faithfulness. In his second volume, his to be continued, this, this writer breaks open the floodgates. You see, in Acts, God doesn't show favoritism. That's Acts 10.34. God, God's gospel is for all. His love is for all. His saving is for all. In Acts, the barriers of Jew and Gentile and race and political allegiance are all stripped away. Those who fought against the gospel give their lives completely in service to it. Remember Saul, president at the stoning of Stephen, gives his life completely 
in service to the gospel. Peter and John preach in many of these Samaritan villages. Acts chapter 8, verse 25, it says, Peter and John went to preach in many of these Samaritan villages. The same John, the very same John, James and John, Lord, let's call down fire. These guys don't want to welcome you. We don't hear much about John, the the Apostle John. But what a transformation in his life. He was offended at the Samaritan village. He wanted to to call down fire. Acts chapter 8, the next book, several chapters down. The same John. I wonder if he went back to the same village to bring the good news of Jesus to that village that wasn't ready for it at that time. Do you want to go with, do you want to go on this journey with Jesus? There will be some village, there will be some people, some group, some resistance that will make you want to call down fire from heaven to consume those people, the other, the ones who just don't get it. Jesus' response to the disciples and Jesus' response to you and me is to turn and to rebuke us in that moment of anger and in that moment of judgment, and they moved on. Friends, when that knee-jerk reaction has you and has me all lit up, let it pass. Hear from Jesus in that moment. Know that your emotion and anger probably isn't leading you where Jesus would have you go. But know on this kingdom journey, this place where Jesus is calling you and calling to me, as you saturate yourself in this following of Jesus, the cost is high. Our security, our relationships, our status. We're not, we're not guaranteed to lose it. We won't lose all those things automatically. But so also are we not guaranteed to keep it. May our lives be resolute proof of our commitment to follow Christ in all things and participate in the kingdom of God, the work of the kingdom. And as Dave likes to end our times together, the people of God said, amen. Amen.